keeps you in the loop on all things pop culture so you can talk about it with your friends. I'm Courtney. I'm Shannon. I'm Andrew. And we are back from our Christmas break to talk Ooh. about our favorite things of the decade. We are heading into 2020 and we are looking back on the 2010s and we wanted to talk about our top movies and TV shows, books and albums from the past 10 years. So yeah. Ooh, Yay. yeah, We're decade in review. <laughs> You're not going to find this kind of content anywhere else on the internet. <laughs> we are so we are very original. The only place to find this kind of stuff <laughs> by people who are wildly unqualified for it. So. Yeah. That's why we're trying to cover all of the media. That's right. All the media. That's right. Even though I haven't listened to uh, any music outside of the stuff I used to listen to in high school. And you're going to hear my favorite albums if you ever wanted to hear them. Yep. Uh, well, cool. So, where do you guys want to start? You guys want to start with books? Music? <laughs> Movies? Yeah. TV? Let's start with books. Woo! Right, let's yeah, let's start with the book that series. Like, let's do this. That was a more difficult one, I think. It so. was. <laughs> I I've, haven't I've, read that much in the last 10 years, first of all. And the stuff that I have read has definitely not been recent. I've like reread like classic literature that I know that I love. Or caught up on classic literature I was supposed to read in college and high school but didn't. So See, I even yeah. worked in the library at the beginning of the decade. And I yep. still struggle coming up with stuff. So... Yeah. Well, cool. So who wants to start? Andrew? You want to start? Sure. So when I was kind of doing some research for this, I went through Goodreads and kind of looked at like their top 100 books of the, of the past decade and everything. And as I was reading through, I saw that uh, Ready Player One was on the list at all. And so I immediately got very sad. I did read that one, but that's not on my list. Um, mm-hmm. Because it made me really sad that it was on the top 100 even books of, of that it's fine. Um, so one of the uh, one of the ones that I have uh, is uh, the Heroes of Olympus series um, from Rick Riordan. Um, it is a continuation of his Percy Jackson and the Olympian series, um, which incorporates Greek demigods living in the modern day, um, with also Roman demigods living in the in the modern day, um, and so it's got some it's some good young adult writing. It's very fast-paced um, and uh, very interesting. It's probably not of. even young adult. It's probably middle grade. But, yeah. Oh, you think so? Yeah. It's it's targeted toward, like, middle schoolers. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a fun adventure type of thing. Fun to, like, see the, like, the magic of, you know, like, the myths of old meeting modern... Um, technologies and all this kind of stuff. Some of the character progressions that uh, they go through um, are really good. And uh, there's rumors that there may even be an adaptation of Percy Jackson and the Olympians on Disney+, Plus, which I would be uh, a huge proponent of. Yeah. Or so. Netflix. <clears throat> I believe Disney does own it. Yeah. Uh, so. so it would likely go to Disney+, Plus first. They would have the rights for it first. Yep. Disney doesn't give up that IP very often. That's true. <laughs> Um, do you want to talk about the rest of your picks? Or oh, sure. We, like, yeah, yeah, Do a round table? No, we can do all three. All right. Um, so then, uh, the next one I have is called Destiny of the Republic. It was a, it's a book written by Candace Millard. Um, it was about, it's a, it's kind of a biography of James Garfield mixed in with his assassination and, uh, the invention of the telephone. Um, it's a, it's nonfiction. Um, so it's a it's a very well researched book. I actually found um, this author when I read 
a I read it this decade, but it came out in 2005, called The River of Doubt. It was about after Teddy Roosevelt lost a presidential election, he went to explore an uncharted river in the Amazon and almost died. Um, fantastic writing. She's very talented um, in making a nonfiction story really kind of come to life and pop off the pages. Um, kind of talks about how James Garfield was um, a very unifying president. Some uh, a president who kind of unify both sides towards common goals and he was assassinated within the first year of his, of his term. So, um, very sad <laughs> kind of story, but very interesting. It has to do with um, medical practices evolving at the time and all that kind of stuff. There was a, a doctor on scene who essentially killed him by uh, getting his bullet wound infected before anybody could actually take a look at it. And that's why he died. Not because of the bullet wound, but because of the infection from a dumb doctor. So, um, very interesting book. Well worth a read. And then the last one I have is 112263 um, from Stephen King. It was adapted into a Hulu series a couple years ago. Um, starring James Franco, of all people. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, the first and so far only Stephen King book that I've read uh, because it has to deal with a man, an, uh, an English teacher from, you're not going to believe this, New England, um, <laughs> in a Stephen King novel. There's a guy from Maine who uh, it centers around. Um, but uh, he goes, he finds a way to travel back in time and uh, he's tasked with preventing the Kennedy assassination. Um, and so it's kind of, a, it's a perfect, the writing is a fantastic slice of what it would be like for a modern person to go back to the 50s. Because, like, there's movies and stuff that it's, like, the Sandlot especially is what I think of for that time period and stuff. And even the the TV adaptation kind of does this where it's like, oh, yeah, here's, like, American stuff. But, like, the writing talks about stuff that we wouldn't even think about. Like, everybody was smoking, so there's always this blue haze of, like, cigarette smoke in every single room that you'd walk into. <laughs> and, like, he, he kind of brings up this kind of stuff. He shows up in the past with, like, a modern haircut, and everybody thinks he's a hippie. So he has to, like, go and get a real <laughs> nice, you know, close-cropped look, otherwise he'll stand out and all this kind of stuff. So um, it's really very good. There's some twists and turns in it that are fantastic. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Um, I highly recommend it if you haven't read it. I haven't finished the Hulu series, but I remember enjoying it when I watched it, um, the first couple episodes, so... I seem to recall being really creeped out by it. And also a little confused. I kept asking if the time cops were coming. Because Andrew mentioned that they were, like, time I cops. Meant, I meant... I said there were... <laughs> there's not really time cops. There's kind of time cops, but not really time cops. He, like, he explained it to me as time cops, and that's what stuck, so... No, I'm just and, thinking about time bandits, which is a movie my mom made me watch for yeah. the first time recently. <laughs> and whoa. Nice. Yeah, there's not really time cops... The kind of the point of it is that like history doesn't like to be changed, mm -hmm. so it's not necessarily time cops, but like history compensating for it being changed by someone going back in time type of thing. So, no cosmic turtles in this one. So, yep. Cool. How about you, Shannon? Yeah. Um. So I'll start off by talking about my processing coming up with these top lists. Yes. Um. Sorry, no, me. I love rules. <laughs> no. Not over your rules, Shane. Um, 
No, so I tried, um, except for with albums, music, because I feel like I know nothing about music. Um, but with other three categories, I tried to balance, like, things that I truly did love and, like, have kind of a sentimental attachment to. But I also tried to look at it a little bit more objectively and pick things that I thought really had a big cultural impact, will be remembered years and years later, and that generally people seem to like, and that were really well-received, and that um, were just incredibly well-made. So um, this list might be a little bit different had I gone with just my, like, sentimental favorites all around, because um, at least with books, I read a lot of YA. Um, that tends to be my favorite thing. But I tried to put a little bit more balance to it. Um, so my number three is The Underground Railroad from Colson Whitehead. Um, released in 2016. I think I've actually talked about this before because I've met Colson Whitehead um, when he came to Salt Lake. He He's a really cool guy and has a good range of stuff. He he wrote a really cool zombie novel, novel and I think that anyone who can balance from like historical fiction and really like literary stuff to a cool zombie novel is a guy that I'm on board with. Um, but this book is of course about the United States in the period where we had slavery and it focuses mainly on Cora who is a slave trying to escape um, through the Underground Railroad which Col Colson Whitehead has made a literal thing so there's a literal like there are train tracks under the ground that take her out um, and it goes from state to state kind of showing the different ways that these states are racist without <laughs> a better way to put it. So even the states at that time that weren't practicing slavery, a lot of them were still, still have very racist people, but in different ways. And so it's both, I don't love historical fiction for the, like, I, it's not the thing I gravitate toward to, but, um, gravitate to, but, um, he made this book so accessible and, um, really emotional and I mean of course it's pretty devastating and a really truthful look at where we were at as a country and maybe some parallels to where we're still at as a country. Um, so that was really impactful for me. Um, number two is The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Um, we, we all know how much I love John Green. Um, if I was going with just my favorites. I think Turtles All the Way Down this decade is probably the book I enjoy more for its look at OCD and mental illness. But The Fault in Our Stars, I think, just launched like this whole boom of realistic young adult fiction um, and a bunch that were then uh, converted into film, too. Um, I still remember reading this book in my <laughs> dorm room at college and my roommate coming in and I was bawling my eyes out and she had to ask what was wrong with me. Um, it, it's so, it's so tender and lovely and the love between Hazel Grace Lancaster and Augustus is just beautiful. So gay John Green. And then my number one pick is Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. And I think a lot of people who know me are very surprised that I enjoy <laughs> this book because it's very demented in a lot of ways. Um, I think Gillian Flynn is just an incredible writer. Um, she was a TV editor for Entertainment Weekly. And I think by like watching a lot of TV, she knows how to create a really gripping story. Um, it has one of the best twists that we have seen this whole decade. Um, it's very dark, but I don't know. Like, I love a good mystery, I guess, and you're trying to, it's about 
um, it's Nick, right? And his um, wife, Amy, goes missing. And so people, of course, turn to the husband thinking he did something to her. Yeah, so the book alternates between the husband Nick's point of view and Amy's diary entries, and both of them seem to be unreliable narrators, and so you're not exactly sure what happened to Amy, and i it's just one of the most gripping stories that I've read as of late. And awesome. the adaptation from David Fincher is also really great, so yay. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Cool. So... You're three, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So the three that I wanted to talk about, the first one is pretty similar to one of Andrew's. So it's the Magnus Chase series, also by Rick Riordan. So Andrew talked about the Heroes of Olympus series and how that's a continuation of uh, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. So those two series focus on the, the Greek gods and the Roman gods. Um, but Rick Riordan has actually written a bunch of other series of books. Um, and he's actually kind of formed this collective of authors now that are basically writing a, like the same style of book it's like the same essential like setup but different types of like pantheons so there's one guy who's been writing like the chinese pantheon and like a, it's a series of books they're all set in the same like all of these different stories and groups of heroes are like in the world simultaneously and sometimes cross paths in like non-canonical like side um texts but um, he's written one about, so Rick Riordan wrote one about the Egyptian pantheon, just a little trilogy um, called the Cain Chronicles. And then there's the Magnus Chase series. So this is another trilogy, and this one is about the Norse gods. So yeah, the Magnus Chase series follows uh, Magnus Chase, and he turns out he's the son of Frey. And uh, he's, basically he and his friends wind up preventing Ragnarok, um, and fighting against Loki and Fenris and all of the bad guys, and it's cool. Um, it made it really cool when I was, like, watching Thor Ragnarok or other things where they... I feel like <laughs> lately there have been a few different movies that I've seen where they're talking about Ragnarok and, like, the things that will happen around Ragnarok, and I'm like, I know that! <laughs> Which is exciting for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good series. I really liked that, um... I'm going to be honest with you guys, I haven't read that many books from this decade, because I don't read a lot of books, just in general. <laughs> but uh, I don't read books. <laughs> I don't read books. I do read books, just not that many, and not from this decade. So, um, yeah, I liked the Magnus Chase series. I liked that um, one of the characters is gender fluid, like literally changes between genders. Um one of the main characters is also one of she's a Valkyrie and she's also Muslim, um, which those two things she one of her main struggles as a character is like trying to find this balance between her religion and her role as a Valkyrie because they're both like things that she's inherited because of who her parents are. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I have there. <laughs> um, yeah. So then the other thing that so Shannon and I were actually just talking about this that. Um, at the start of this decade, I, like, Andrew and I were not parents, and so I feel like the other books that I have on my list <laughs> are defined by the fact that we became parents this decade. Um, so the first one is Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. I love that book. It's a great it's book. Um, it's the best of the celebrity memoirs. It really opinion. is. Yeah. I really like it. It's a really great combination of, like, really personal, almost, like, confessionary type like bits and then there are things that's just like 
the one that I particularly related to was the prayer for my daughter. Mm. And it was like, give me the patience to like cope with her teenage years because <laughs> I will not have that. Oops. I will not have it. <laughs> I, li- I liked, um, I liked on Mindy Kaling's book flap. Mm-hmm. She wrote like, is this is like frequently asked questions about my book? Is this Tina Facebook? No, but you should definitely go and read that book first. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay. as as a parent, I related hardcore to all of her, all of her things in there about being a parent. Um, Remind me, I need to tell you. There's a certain term <laughs> she uses that I always think about, and it's inappropriate. But <laughs> instead of a muffin top, uh-huh. she she has a term for okay. another flappy part of your body. <laughs> I can't say yeah. it because this is a clear podcast, yeah. but it's really funny. I'm already going to have to edit Courtney swearing a few seconds ago. Oh yeah, I will not have that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to edit it. I wonder what I'm going to put in as the sound. I haven't decided yet. Mm. Scary. Zing. I don't know. I might put part of the, I might put somebody dramatically reading part of the Gettysburg Address. Oh Have that <laughs> That'll encourage us not to swear ever. <laughs> um, and then the last book that I have, <laughs> speaking of swearing, there's a swear in the title. <laughs> but um, actually, so technically the title is uh, Toddlers Are A... Sparkle, Sparkle. It's not Sparkle, Sparkle. It's like, it's actually crossed out with crayon. Oh. <laughs> but Toddlers Are A-Holes. It's not your fault. <laughs> um, and I can't remember who it's by. Um, but... It was, like, a really quick three-hour read, but it was freaking hilarious. It was all of the, like, like how to, like, brush your toddler's teeth. And it was, it was like, um, start out really slow and very carefully and, like, get them to smile. And then, like, quickly pull the toothbrush back out before they bite you. <laughs> and... And, like, explain that this is the same toothpaste that we've used every single night for the last three years. <laughs> Real quick, the author is Bunmi Latitan. Yes. Um, who wrote that. Yeah, it's, the whole thing is just so freaking hilarious. I was just dying the whole time. But it was also, like, I was laughing, but at the same time kind of, like, internally just going, <laughs> because it was so, like, it was an exaggerated version of the truth, but truth nonetheless. Uh, so yeah, those are my three books. There was also an honorable mention that had swearing and children in it, which was, um, go the F to sleep. I was just going to mention it! Go the F to sleep. (laughs) I was checking to see if that was a sticky. Have you heard Samuel Jackson? Yes. Yes, so go the the F to sleep is by Adam, Adam Mansbach, and the audio book is read by Samuel Jackson, and it's all about how much a child stalls about going to bed. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Kind and of in the, the vein of good good night mood. Yes, or and the like parent that. the parent becomes increasingly unhinged <laughs> as the book goes on with trying to get the kid to go to sleep. Um, yes, it's fantastic. Yep. Are we spouting out honorable mentions too, or do we need to move on? I, go have, ahead. I have no books. I have no honorable. Go mentions. yeah. Go ahead and do your honorable. I don't have. It any was there, a struggle so. to get to three. I'll <laughs> spout them out really quickly. As far as YA goes, uh, Eleanor and Park, Aristotle and Dante discover the secret of the universe and the sun is also a star mm-hmm. um the lover's dictionary by david levithan is a really cool book where it's kind of vignettes of a relationship that are written as dictionary entries and it's one of my favorite books of all time and then adult books <laughs> whatever adult means um little fires everywhere by celeste ing and uh station 11 were both really great too it's nice so, lots of options there you go <laughs> 
Bless you. <coughs> there it is. <coughs> Preemptive bless you. Oh, thank you. There's, there's number three. Oh, yeah. Got it. Alright. Oh, I really wanted to talk about The Martian, but I haven't actually read it. I just know a lot about it. I just, I've read The Martian. It's I great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know forgot lot. I read it, actually, until you said that. I know a lot about how it was written, and I wanted to talk about it, but I haven't actually gotten around to reading it, so I was like, uh, I guess I can't really talk about it if I haven't read it. Well, so. You mean it being self-published by a really Self-published, and, like, with all of this, uh, like, input and feedback from, like, actual NASA scientists, yeah. so it's very accurate. I really appreciate that. I gotta admit, so, I like the film more than the book on that one, I think. The fair. book was really good, too, but I... I don't know. I liked the end of the movie more, I think, because the book kind of ends on a... Of all the millions of people on Earth, think of all the money that got spent just to save me, one little dude. And I'm like, that's nice, but also, like, it, it comes that's out a little weird way sappy. Yeah. <laughs> like, all the resources that were spent just to save me, and I'm like... Yes, we are all that important, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, a little, a little sappy. Yeah, for sure. No offense. It's a good book, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we move on to uh, albums? Yeah. Yeah, let's talk albums. Andrew, this is another one where I do not branch out very much. Um, but uh, I guess I'll go in chronological order. Um, and uh, I'll start with um, Blunderbuss by Jack White. Um, it's Jack White's solo album after he'd been with uh, the White Stripes, the Rockin' Tours, and the third group. And I don't remember what it was. Shoot, I don't remember. And, it's okay. We won't judge you. Uh, anyway, um, I've always really liked Jack White and the White Stripes, especially their very kind of stripped down, pure kind of, kind of just like uncut, unfiltered rock for me. Just kind of the like it's a guitar. You know the guy sing, the guy singing. There's drums, maybe a bass, but it's just very much like no kind of no frills rock. But at the same time, very complex um, harmonies and stuff like that. Uh, in very very interesting lyrics and everything. So I really enjoyed uh, his solo album Blunderbuss. Um, uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, uh, that was from 2012, I want to say. Um, and then these next two are definitely right up my alley, if you know me at all. Uh, these are definitely my my two of my favorite groups of all time. Uh, Reliant K released an album in 2013, 2015? No, crud. No, I remember. Uh, <laughs> called Collapsible Lung. Um, and it is... Uh, they worked with some of the songwriters, uh, so like Bruno Mars. Oh, 2013, yeah. They released it in 2013 with Bruno Mars songwriters, uh, Katy Perry songwriters, and they kind of produced this album that is much more, um, you can definitely tell they were written by more uh, pop kind of, like mainstream slash pop kind of songwriters, but every single one of the songs on there is just an absolute jam. Um, my f personal favorites are Boomerang um, and Can't Complain, those are my two favorite songs on that album. Uh, they're fantastic. The one by Boomerang sounds like a Bruno Mars song that <laughs> they wrote first. <laughs> um, uh, but it's fantastic. Ryan K's been, it's my favorite group of all time and so they released this in 2013 and I listened to the, I listened the heck out of it. And then my last album is California by Blink-182. <laughs> they just released an album earlier this year that I also enjoyed but not as much as California. Um, 
I believe, I believe California was released um, with the um, the guitarist from Alkaline Trio. I'm gonna double check on that though. Hmm. Um, yeah, Alkaline Trio frontman Matt Skiba. Um, he joined the band after Tom DeLonge. Um, Blink One Eighty Two's kind of been off and on for the past two decades. They um, they broke up at the end of the of the two thousands, and then got back together for another album uh, with Tom. And they went on tour. So it was Tom, Mark, and Travis all went on tour. And now Tom DeLonge, I believe, has two. He he might be producing two, or maybe just one. But he's in a, he is all about alien abductions. Like he truly believes in UFOs and stuff, and he's producing a TV show, I think, for the History Channel, mm-hmm. about aliens and alien abductions and stuff like that. Um, so he's along with the group Alkaline Trio uh, frontman um, Matt is now uh, is now touring with him. California was produced with him as uh, a singer and a guitarist as well. And um, my favorites from those from that album. Are um oh now I'm dumb because I forgot to look this up and write them down first. Um, <coughs> oops, the song California is really good. Um, I like cynical, bored to death, and she's out of her mind. Um, the first three songs from that album are are fantastic. Um, and no future is also really good. Um, but that's very. Very on brand for me to be a big fan of Reliant K and Blink One Eighty Two, even though their stuff that they've released this decade is a little bit different from their classic stuff back in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, I still think it's awesome. Nice. How about you, Shannon? Yeah. Um. So, like I said, music is the one thing I feel like I just know nothing about music, and so these are all very sentimental favorites that will not be a surprise at all to people who listen to our podcast. Um. Otherwise, I mean, obviously, like, Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar, and there are, like, so many huge artists in this decade that are probably being left out because I'm just sticking to things I like. Yep. But, <laughs> yep. yep. Um, so my number three is Strange Desire, the debut album from Bleachers, um, which is led by Jack Antonoff, who we've talked about a lot. Um, I just think Jack Antonoff is the most brilliant music producer that we have this whole decade, and he writes music for a lot of outstanding female artists, but um, he also writes beautiful music. Um, The lead single off of this, I Want to Get Better, was really emotional for me, Um, just kind of understanding your shortcomings and realizing that... I don't know, you don't have to be lonely and sad and that you can um, get better and be happy. Um, It's really great. Uh, Then my number two is Emotion from Carly Rae Jepsen. I don't know that I have much more to say about this than it's a banger. The whole thing, it's the best pop album I think we've had in a very, very long time. Um, Every song on it is incredible and just, it's so joyous. Um, I think they're... There's an album every year, every other year, where I truly feel like I can listen to it straight through multiple times over and still be excited about listening to it. And this is one of my most listened to 
Um, and then for my number one, <laughs> um, anyone who knows me is like, great, which Taylor Swift album for this decade will <laughs> this number one be? Um, it's Red <laughs> um, from 2012. Um it was, it was kind of a toss-up. I almost wanted to cheat and say it's a tie between Red and 1989. Um, but I ultimately went with Red, which is my favorite Taylor Swift album. Um, I think Taylor Swift is the artist of a decade, and that's... Go listen to her episode on her if you want my whole argument against that, for that. But um, she, in this album, I think this is the first time where she was very country before, and she started like weaving more pop um influence into this album mm -hmm. it's very hard for people to make that transition into other genres and i think she did it so wonderfully um but the year that this came out um i also went through a very bad breakup from a long-term relationship and there are certain songs in this album <laughs> that if i think about it too hard i'll just start crying but the song all too well in particular um just really hit me hard and um her lyrics um and her ability um to tell stories just ring really true to my experience and taylor swift and i are about the same age so i feel like we go through a lot of the same things at the same time so it just really spoke to me so yeah yes. all right so for my top three um yeah so similar to books i don't listen to that much music from this decade like it's one of those things where I feel like I keep current on music but because of Spotify I don't listen to albums so much I listen more to songs um so I feel like I'm constantly expanding like what I'm interested in finding new artists that I like but I tend to stick with like songs as opposed to albums so picking three albums for the decade was hard um but I ended up the, the only thing that is an exception to that rule for me is soundtracks. Um, I listen to a lot of soundtracks, and I, I feel like when you listen to a movie score, you kind of take it as an, a whole experience, um, which I know that a lot of albums are the same way. They're complete experiences, but I don't know. For me, soundtracks are what I listen to the most in terms of albums. So my number one pick has got to be Hamilton. Um, we were talking about this before we started, like, does Hamilton count? Because it's also <laughs> like a play, and I mean, it's primarily a play. Hamilton is a play. And so does the Hamilton soundtrack count? And I was like, well, yeah, because I feel like for a lot of people, the play is inaccessible. Like, you have to be in Chicago or in New York or in London now. Um, and, or you have to, like, live somewhere where the touring production will pass through. And even if, like, if it's a touring production, chances are, you, there's a good chance you didn't get tickets. Like, somebody I know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, Hamilton's my number one soundtrack. Um, Can Shannon, I just... Yeah. Oh, I was... Because this is an honorable mention for me. Yeah. I'm going to steal, like, and also talk about it. Yeah. But, like, it... It just, it was on Rolling Stone's list of top albums of the decade, too, mm -hmm. and I think that really speaks to, like, most Broadway musicals, the album of it would be specifically for people like me who really love musicals and love yeah. kind of the camp of it or whatever it is, and Hamilton just, everyone loves it. It's yeah. so pervasive, and how how original it is. I threw Darren Hansen on my honorable mentions, too, because mm -hmm. I feel like both those musicals were so original. Yeah. But for yep. sure. Yeah, Hamilton, um, I credit Shannon with introducing me to Hamilton officially because I, I finally like cracked 
and went and listened <laughs> to it and uh, for the podcast. And yeah, hardcore love it. I got Andrew to finally listen to it on a road trip home from California because I was driving and I was like, I need something to stay awake. Put on Hamilton. So he was forced to listen to the whole thing. And forced to. <laughs> I, okay. You had been very, I had tried to get you to listen to it before that and you were very resistant. Yes, because I don't like listening to soundtracks to plays before I see the play. Yeah. That's just kind of a general rule I have. I was so stoked when I found out there was a Percy Jackson play on Broadway, mm-hmm. but I can't <laughs> listen to the soundtrack till I see the play. So speak through. Oh, I feel like speak through is kind of an yeah. exception. <clears throat> well, I, did I, that I didn't. With Darren Hansen and I didn't. I didn't under. I didn't know that Hamilton was a speak through, um, and also like. Mm, I'm never. I'm probably. And it's American history. I'm probably <laughs> never gonna see. Like, let's be honest. I'm probably never gonna have a chance to see it in my life. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe true. if I win the lottery and also like inherit some of the most wealthy people's money, like the top twenty four <laughs> people, they just gave me their money. Not just inherit then, money, but Bill Gates's money. Yes, <laughs> then I might have a chance that I might be, like be wealthy enough to actually get tickets to it. Oh so, um. Uh, if that happens, maybe, but it, came to, it got to the point where I was just like, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to see it. So I listened to it, not begrudgingly. <laughs> I listened to it and loved it. I just, I, and I still love it. Yeah. Um, my number two is probably going to be the Black Panther soundtrack. Um, yeah, it won an Academy Award for the soundtrack. So that tells you how good it is. Um, and he sensed that that's Ludwig... Well, what's his last name? <laughs> I'm going to oh, throw man, that back onto really you. I'm sorry. You're really testing my knowledge here, Shannon. But he did the it's soundtrack now for The Mandalorian. And, well, yeah. Like, no, oh, which, by the way, yeah. I, I seriously considered putting The Mandalorian soundtrack on here. <laughs> the only reason I didn't is because it's so recent that I was like, I need more time to process. Ludwig Göransson. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, Mandalorian soundtrack is phenomenal. It's dope. Um, it's, and it's perfect for the show. That's Anyway. Um, but yeah, so... Black Panther soundtrack, um, and then my final one would be the Star Wars Force Awakens soundtrack, um, particularly for Ray's theme, uh, and like Kylo Ren's theme also. I, their like their music, it's just great. Thank you, John Williams. Uh, yeah. If only they got to live a long, happy life together. Oh, Shannon, <laughs> don't bring that up. Spoilers. Okay, should we do honorable mentions? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna yeah, throw out mine real it. quick while I have the floor. Do it. So, um, my honorable mentions are the Jane Eyre soundtrack for, uh, it was by Dario Marinelli. Mm-hmm. Um, another honorable mention is it's kind of a tie between 1989 and Lover by Taylor Swift. I, I like pretty much every song on both of those albums, which for me and pop, it's rare that I find an album that I like. I, I'm like, I like everything on this. Um, and then finally. Honorable mention, I have the Inception soundtrack. Um, just Yeah. Inception came out in 2010, so at the very start of the decade, and yeah, the the horns, just, like the big blats, really influenced a lot of composers for this decade. So I feel like it deserves a shout out just for being like such a such a huge like influence on the rest of this decade. So. And then an interstellar Hans Zimmer just fell asleep on the end of his organ. <laughs> <laughs> I need yeah. to think through my favorite movie soundtracks from this decade now. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of good ones. Um, actually, that may came up, come up a little bit with our movies. Yeah. A soundtrack I like a lot. <laughs> Excellent. Um, 
My honor, honorable mentions really quick. Um, Chaim, uh, Days Are Gone, Three Sisters. But I, they're just great. And now all of their music videos are done by Paul Thomas Anderson, which is like oh, really awesome. cool and hip. Wow. Um, Casey Musgraves, Golden Hour. I've talked about that on the show before too, so I will refrain, but yay for like disco country songs. <laughs> um, churches, Every Open Eye. And then, yeah, as I said, the Hamilton and Dear Graham Hansen soundtracks. Nice. Yep. Any honorable mentions for you? Nope. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to TV shows then. Yay! Okay, so for this one, should we do honorable mentions first and then kind of yes. work our way, our way up on that? That one might be better, huh? Yeah. yeah. Let's do honorable mentions Movie, TV shows and movies might be better to go <laughs> yeah, possibly. up. Yeah. Okay, cool. So who are your honorable mentions, Andrew? Um... I think I only have one for this, and you guys, and Courtney's gonna roll her eyes when I say it. <laughs> um, but my honorable mention is I think you should leave. That's on Netflix, um, written by uh, Tim Anderson, I believe is who it is. Um, but I, the reason I put it on there is just because of the sheer number of quotable lines that are in that show. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. It's very absurd humor. It's um, really absurd. Have, have you seen it, Shannon? No. Um, yeah, it's it's just absurd. it's sketches. He used to write for SNL, mm. and so these were probably a lot of sketches that he wanted to write for SNL, and they didn't give him like the go ahead for. Um, like one of my, I think my favorite sketch, the one that's probably best to like introduce people to, is uh, a guy crashes a car through into a store. Into a store. It's like a it's like a formal wear store. He crashes his car into it, and it's a hot dog car, and he's dressed as a hot dog. And they're like, oh, who crashed this car? And he's like, I don't know. It could have been any of it. It could have been any of us. And he's trying to blame everybody else, but he's literally dressed as a hot dog, and it's a hot dog car. And he's just, and he he winds up, like, saying that we're not con- we're not connected with anybody anymore. He's like, I know the names of, of porn sites better than I know my own grandmother's name. Like, how, and, like... It's just it just kind of escalates. The very first sketch on the very first episode is uh, him in a job interview, and he goes to leave uh, the job interview. It goes really well, and he goes to the door, and it is a it's a it's a push door, but he goes to pull it like, and the job interviewer goes, "Oh, uh, yeah, I think it's a push," and he goes. No, I was here yesterday. It's a pull, and he spends the next five minutes of the sketch pulling at the hinges and snapping the hinges off the door, just so he wouldn't be wrong in front of a job interview. Um, it's really fantastic. So, um, Courtney and I trade quotes with that a lot. One of the ones that we yell all the time is, you. "You had all summer to think of this." Um, <laughs> uh, there's or the what part of the sketch. Anyway, I'm describing this very vaguely because I don't want to ruin too many sketches, but it's I, I think it's fantastic. It's good. I wouldn't say it's a top show of the decade. Or even more than a Fight, fight, fight! I know what you think, but I... It's fine. I like, have... it, it's funny, and there are a lot of quotable lines. You're right about that, but I don't... I mean, this is... But this is your list, and your honorable mention. That's yeah. okay. That's right. I never actually got to explain my, my process. Yeah, what is you your guys, process? Mine was basically because we kind of we wanted to go like best of the decade. Mine was basically what I had the best time with, mm-hmm. um, what I found the most enjoyable from all of these. Um, so that's why I think you should leave for me. 
makes it super high on this list is because I just had so much fun watching it. Yeah. I have things on my list that I didn't necessarily have a good time with, but were personally meaningful in some way to me. That's how I chose. That, yeah, yeah. And, and that influenced my good time as something that was personally yeah. influenced. Something that was personally meaningful to me influenced how good of a time I had. Totally. So. Um, Shannon, what are your honorable mentions? I. <sighs> I, I just made the mistake of pulling up like some list to make sure I didn't forget anything. And there that are was a mistake. Really, there's just so much TV. And I feel so like this decade I really turned to watching more film than TV. So there are so many things I miss. Like I know that True Detective and The Leftovers and there are like a lot of shows that people have really highlighted that I just have not seen yet. Yeah. So I'm leaving out a million things. I mean... Some personal favorites for me that kind of fall into this. I've talked a lot about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and honestly, that's really close to my number three, because you just, I love a musical, and you don't get a musical TV show that works this well, like, ever. Yeah. So, to pull that off is so good. Um, the Good Place is wonderful, but we have not yet seen the finale, and so I'm, I'm also kind of waiting on that. Well, here's yeah. a, so here's the question. If, if the finale winds up being disappointing... Where does the where does the show rank for you? Because I think it may even be like top ten, even though yeah, even if the finale stumbles a little bit, it's been so good. It's been so good. I I don't think it'll be bad just from the last two episodes. Right. We've seen. I have a whole lot of faith it'll be good. Way more faith than I did in Star Wars. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, come on, that's like the lowest bar to clear. Come on. I'm sorry, I'm gonna rip off Rise of Skywalker, but um. It's re- it's just so smart and yeah. like really topical and great. Um, Bob's Burgers, I just find a delight and it's so funny and watchable. Um, Big Little Lies, at least season one. Um, even with season two, I tuned in every week to an after show because I was so invested in figuring out what was going to happen. Um, I mean, John Mark Vallee is just a beautiful director, and so the and all the performances are great, especially Nicole Kidman. So um, it's very soapy, but kind of fancy soap opera i don't know a bigger budget soap opera if succession had been around a little bit longer that made might have made it into my list um same with marvelous Mrs. Maisel. i love sherlock was this decade that's when i just looked up and i'm like oh yeah i love benedict cumberbatch so much um and finally orphan black which is kind of um kind of a dark horse like hit i think it got more of a fan base as it went on but um tatiana mislani playing clones of and i would often forget that she was playing all of those characters um because she was just so good at creating a distinct personality for each of them um i mean handmaid's tale i could go on for so long because i feel it's a new golden age of TV. Yes, this was really the year. And I almost thought about putting House of Cards on the list. Not necessarily because of the quality. Definitely not because of Kevin Spacey. Cause, mm-hmm. ugh. But um, just that's when Netflix came onto the scene. was like, we're going to make TV now. And since then, there's just so much TV. Because every streaming service is producing really great programs. And so, yeah, it's just, there's way too many options. And I know, I have a Spacey in one of my selections, and I don't feel great about it. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, the one you're talking about, Andrew, I tried to watch over Christmas, and I had to turn it off. Really? <laughs> we'll talk about okay, this. Okay, all right, yeah. okay. We'll all get right. there with the movies. But. <laughs> Sorry, Courtney, I'm no, you're fine. <laughs> you're fine. 
Um, my honorable mentions include, um, so Man in the High Castle. Um, I really enjoy that show, but we have not seen the last two seasons of the show. So I didn't feel like I could reasonably put it, like we've seen half of it, so I didn't feel like I could reasonably put it in my top three. Um, <coughs> uh, another honorable mention for me would be Jessica Jones. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't seen the last season of that either. Yeah, the third season? You didn't watch it? No. We've only watched the first <laughs> two. Oh. Okay then. Yeah. Remember how we all talked about season two though and we hated the way it was yeah. going? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch season three. Yeah. That happened to all the Netflix ones because I was considering Daredevil but I really liked the first season and a half of Daredevil and I didn't yeah. even watch the third season. And Jessica, the thing with Jessica Jones though the reason why it makes an honorable mention for me is because the first season is just so, so good. freaking good. David Tennant's so good in that. David Tennant is amazing. <laughs> and uh, Kristen Ritter is amazing. Like everybody in that in that first season is just spot on. It's perfect, and I love it. Um, so yeah, it. I think that first season alone merits an honorable mention, but I don't know that I could put it in my top three. Um, so yeah, and then my last honorable mention, like Shannon said, also the Good Place. Um, I really want this to be on my top three. I'm going to be honest with you. I want it to be yeah. there, um, but. Again, not having seen the end of the show, um, that's the only thing that held me back from putting it in my top three. So yeah, I feel better about it because I have some Michael Schur <clears throat> representation in this. Yeah. Oh sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> cool. So Andrew, top three TV shows. Yay. All right. So um, I'm gonna go with the one that I feel like I have to defend the most, um, which is Community, um, <laughs> just because of the lack of interest and. The stuff that happened to Community is is such a shame for me, but when it was at its highest, it was it's just for me it's untouchable television. Um, as I far feel like as I've never heard anything but really good things about Community. Well, no, just I mean like NBC, it wasn't getting viewership, so yeah. like nobody watched it. So then, it, and then Dan Harmon left the show or was fired by NBC. It's kind of like it's a little bit unclear what actually happened, and then. Um, so then they brought in these other showrunners who did a really bad job of, of with season four. And then Dan Harmon came back for season five, which was uh, which was a lot better. But then season six was on Yahoo's screen. Yahoo's screen. And I remember, I mean, I still remember like downloading it on my phone and like airplaying it to our TV so we could watch season six as it came out. Um... I remember desperately wanting to get to uh, campus because I, I was in college when it was at its height and desperately trying to get to campus on the next day after it aired to watch it on Hulu. Because um, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta watch it, I gotta watch it. And I'd run to the campus computer and watch it instead of doing homework, which was a very responsible student thing I did. Um, but uh, just when it was at its highest, like the... We mentioned this a little while ago, the Christmas Glee episode um, <laughs> is one of the high points of the show, I think. Um, the paintball episode is one of the best half an hours of television. That The first, the very, very, the very first paintball episode is probably one of the best half hours of television. Um, it's fantastic. The way that it comments on TV while also becoming a TV show itself and falling into the tropes, but then turning on their head and all this kind of stuff... I just, I just loved it. Um, I thought about maybe putting Rick and Morty 
as an honorable mention, but I don't even want to touch that. <laughs> um, I, we actually haven't even watched the most recent. We watched the first episode from the season. We haven't watched the other episodes. Yeah. Um, but you can really see Dan Harmon, the direction he wants to take his characters, he wants to take his TV shows, shine through on those. And Community is a little bit more grounded in reality, even though it's very, it's a very silly it's a universe. It's weird thing to say about Community. It's a weird thing to I mean, more so than Rick and Morty. When you compare yeah. the two, yeah. uh, it's more com- found in reality than uh, Rick and Morty is, but you can mm-hmm. still see the kind of zaniness. The The cast is incredible. It was Donald Glover's big launching point, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, obviously, Atlanta was probably where people would say that was kind of his breakthrough moment, but he got the, he got the chance to write Atlanta because of his work on Community. And as, as a writer on 30 Rock as well. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, that cast is incredible, uh, even despite Chevy Chase. And uh, just very clever. I, I love it. Yeah. Um, my next uh, is Veep, which I do believe started before... I think I want to We're say... We're going to give you credit for it. It yeah. just ended. Yeah, it so just... Oh no, I guess... I guess it started in 2012. Yeah, so yeah, okay. It's, it's fully within the decade. Uh, for some reason, I thought it started in 2009. <laughs> um, I say I rank, I rank these based on how good of a time I had, which I did have a good time with V, but it gave me a headache for the first couple seasons because we watched it... Post-Trump. Post, yes. <laughs> so I, it made me nostalgic for the times when like the first season's... Scandals would actually have been political scandals. Yeah, like she stood in front of a pig at like a Talking about Jerusalem. Or talking talking about about Israel. Yeah, talking about Israel. And that was a big scandal. And I was just like... Oh, if only. I was like, oh, that's cute. But then like (laughs) watching the show progress and kind of... People say it's so hard to write political humor in this age because um, things change and there's another new thing that's embarrassing and horrible and... But Veep did a fantastic job of moving with the times, and it got progressively more and more absurd. Yes. Yeah. So, but like, it's inc- it's incredible writing. The cast, Tony Hale, I don't know, he should have won all the. I know that Julia Louis Dreyfus won all of the, oh, <laughs> the Emmys. Well, she was. I know Shannon's upset about that because <laughs> she's a wonderful actress. I'm not trying to hate on her. Well, that's the thing. Is I like, just. I remember watching I'll the Emmys. I'll talk about it later. I remember watching it's the Emmys fun. and being like, I wish Amy Poehler would win, but not having seen Veep, and now having seen Veep, I'm like, I get it. Like, I 100%. I, I'm like, sure I would love that show. Yeah, you would. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Just, uh, yeah, especially, it's a it's an American remake of The Thick of It uh, from BBC, which we started to watch as well, mm-hmm. with Peter Capaldi, um, which is also fantastic. Yep. Um, but yeah, Veep is uniquely American in a lot of in a lot of respects, and it's it's fantastic. Yep. And then the last show I have is Game of Thrones, um, which you can't <laughs> you can't talk about TV and pop culture in the two thousands without mentioning Game of Thrones. I also want to say that was unplanned by Shannon and I. We just that was is very nice. I, Andrew always does it. I always do it. I can't do it if I'm the one who brings it up. I can't provide my own soundtrack. Um, <laughs> but it's the last. 
it's the last kind of monoculture like that we're probably ever gonna get. Um, despite Amazon gonna be doing Lord of the Rings soon, they're trying to make that the next Game of Thrones. Um, the Net- Netflix is doing it with The Witcher right now, they're trying to make that oh. the next Game of Thrones, which we just is watching that. It's, great. it's pretty good. It's, great. it's not gonna be. It's not gonna be quite as far-reaching as Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. but it's still pretty good. Yeah. But there. But I mean, Game of Thrones just encompassed so much. It <clears throat> references to it <coughs> made it into every facet of pop culture. Like it was impossible to you'd watch if if you didn't watch the show and you didn't understand a reference, chances are it was Game of Thrones related. Mm-hmm. Um, or Game of Thrones Oreos. So. Game of Thrones Oreos. <laughs> the Simpsons did an entire Game of Thrones episode and like a couch gag about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers did one did a whole show about episode, it. Yeah. Um, where Louise <laughs> was talking about it and and Bob was like, "Wait, you shouldn't be watching that show." <laughs> Um, uh, yes, <laughs> it's just it. It's I know that there are a lot of fans who have been disappointed with the last few seasons, um, and we binge watched the whole thing over the course of about three weeks. So it's a little bit different experience for us. We don't. I don't get. We didn't get the whole waiting seven years for this ending. So we're. I don't think. I think that's where a lot of bitterness comes from for a lot of these fans. Yeah. Um, we don't have that, so I'm like, it's a little disappointing, but you know, it's fine. Well, and having um, seen, putting them all so close together and watching them back-to-back like that, it was really easy to track character progressions, and so at the end, when the things happen, we're like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense because of X, Y, and Z, but I think that because we didn't have as much space in between episodes and in between seasons, mm-hmm. like, I think that there's a lot of fan build-up and, like, yeah. speculation and theories, and people develop their own ideas and allow them to crystallize as far as, like, this is what these characters are. This is what I want from the show. I mean, with the exception of Daenerys forgetting about the Iron Fleet, just yeah, forgetting about dumb. it, that was dumb. But <laughs> we're not going to get into that right now. But it's just, <laughs> it, it's it's an amazing show. Even, I mean, at the height of it, it had political intrigue. It had um, characters that you wanted to be the protagonist but just weren't. It, it, it was, I mean, I know that these were novels first, but... Very, but very few people read the novels before it was. I mean, not to say very few, because obviously they were popular enough to make it into a TV show. But like most people who watched the show were completely blown away by the twists that happened, and there are some very, like, genuinely surprising twists in there. If you haven't seen it, um, I'm sorry. I guess I'm going to spoil some stuff. But the death of Ned Stark, the Red Wedding. There are some genuinely like shocking moments in. Uh, in, in Game of Thrones that changed kind of the way that we perceive TV now, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's impossible to talk about it. And um, fantastic production and all this kind of... Like, it's just... It's a, it's a fantastic show. It's it's well worth it. Even though there's so many people who hate the ending and all this kind of stuff, the, it's it's really good. Yep. Cool. Janet, what have you got? Yay. Um, so our rule on this one was that you could include a show that started before 2010 as long as the majority of the show is in its decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so two of my fall into that and I'm not cheating. <laughs> or I created the rules so I could put what I wanted, <laughs> basically. Um, so my number three is Fleabag, which I've talked about in, like, a ton on this podcast, so I don't really need to talk about it more. But I will say that, um... 
Season two is a revelation, and season one I appreciate a whole lot more having now seen Phoebe Waller-Bridge do her one-woman show, because to convert all of that, her her show is so perfect, um, but to convert that to another medium, um, she just did such a good job. Um, I don't know. It, it's very funny, but also really touching, makes you think about... I religion and um, the mistakes you've made in your life and the guilt you often feel about not being able to fully atone for those mistakes and yeah it's family like it, it touches on so many anxieties we all feel and so I love it so much and Andrew Scott is wonderful too um, number two, um, which I keep alluding to is Parks and Recreation. Um, I had honestly forgotten, I feel like, like The Office, that this show has been so pervasive in my life that I feel like it hadn't even happened this decade, but it's just been there for so long. Yeah. Um, I think the writing of it, Michael Schur is just so brilliant, um, so funny. Um, all of... I, there's really great jokes, but all of the characters are, you care about each of them so much. Um, and I, I think this show is pretty, I love The Office. Um, that's my other favorite comedy, but I think that Parks and Rec just kept building and building and kept getting better and better. The first two seasons are, when you watch them back, are still really fun, but at the introduction of Rob Lowe and Adam Scott, it just really takes off um, and is so strong. Mm -hmm. Um, And the best part about this show, I just feel like, especially shows about politics, so much TV now is so cynical. Mm -hmm. And Leslie Nope is just this beautiful character who just believes in herself, and she knows she's great and is really confident, and she always believes that she, just this local government employee can change the whole world and there's something in you know she disagrees fundamentally with ron swanson and they have such different political views but they still love each other and respect each other and so there's just so something so warm and snuggly about that um and you know that's the way we should strive to live our lives i really want to be a leslie nope (laughs) i love leslie nope because even when she isn't confident in herself she's still confident in her vision and like in her she's still passionate about the the things that she wants to do and her dreams and hopes for her community yeah and the people around her too and the people around her that even when she's not feeling confident in herself she's still like like so passionate about like what she's trying to do and what her dream and her vision is i will i will say we were doing a rewatch or maybe we were doing our first watch of parks and rec i think it was a rewatch though um, in 2016, um, and on election night, that was our first watch. <laughs> on election night, I, I got to the point where I couldn't watch coverage anymore. I was like, "Oh, this isn't." <laughs> so we turned on Parks and Rec, and it was the debate episode, <laughs> and it was just like, "Oh, this is so optimistic." Uh, uh. <laughs> it was like even my. I was like, even I was like, even my escapism is mocking me at this, but I can't believe it. It was like one of those things that, like, because of when we watched that episode for the first time, it made it so much more meaningful. Yeah. So we're just like, <laughs> it's so beautiful. And it, ends, and it ends with Chris Pratt describing Rambo. Like, yes. I mean, it's so. 
I mean, this is the beginning. We should say, like, this is the beginning of Chris Pratt. Yeah. Yes. Because then he became, you know, Jurassic World and, and Star-Lord and yes. all of that. But he, his improv, if people have not watched the outtakes of Parks and Rec, they are so wonderful. And the jokes he's slipped in. But a lot of, he improved a lot on that show. And so yeah. there's a line where oh, when it, he's on his computer and he's saying like oh it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's I'm gonna ruin the line yeah Leslie's Leslie's <laughs> sick and he goes I typed your symptoms into the computer and it says you have network connectivity issues <laughs> and you heard from the writers that show and they were like Chris Pratt was constantly coming up with funnier things that we had in the script and so I just think everyone on that show has gone on to do really good things too and yeah. so um, yes so Parks and Rec wonderful. And the number one um, is Breaking Bad, and it did start pre-2010, but I think this is the first show I can really think of where, like, Netflix just exploded this show. So it was on AMC, but everyone, it kind of had a little bit of a following, it had some Emmys love, and people, of course, love Bryan Cranston, but... um, it like it hit Netflix and then everyone was streaming it. This was one that I started watching like right before the last season or the last half of the last season premiered. Um, so I kind of got to it right before the last few episodes. But I I think it kind of had a Game of Thrones almost maybe not that big, but people were watching that mm-hmm. show in real time um, and following it. Um, I would say the third to last episode, Ozymandias, directed by Ryan Johnson, is the best hour of TV I've ever seen in my life. Um, Brian Cranston, I also love Malcolm in the Middle, and so to see him go, he's such a good comedian, but for him to be so serious, um, I guess for those who don't know, it's a show about Walter White, who's a high school chemistry teacher, who finds out that he has cancer and decides to partner with one of his former students to become a drug lord um, in order to make money for his family um, in, for when he passes on. But over time, he keeps using it like, I'm doing this for my family, I'm doing this for my family, but he's actually doing it for himself because mm-hmm. he was this teacher that no one cared about and this now has given him power. Um, I don't know... Uh, Netflix this year released like kind of a follow-up movie, El Camino, and I went to see it in a theater, and the theater was packed, and so people love this show and care about this show, and the writing's so smart, it kept me guessing what would happen until the end, and so, yep. Nice. Alright, so the three that I have. Um, I mentioned that I really wanted to put The Good Place in my top three. It was a real toss-up between the good place in my number three pick, which is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yay! Um, Marv- Honestly, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel probably would be higher on my list, except for we haven't seen the last season yet. <laughs> well, most Mrs. recent. Maisel. It's so, most recent. It's not the last one, right? It's just the most recent. Oh, right. Sorry. The most recent one. So, um, uh, we haven't seen it yet. Courtney, I wonder <laughs> how you're going to feel. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's true. Uh, I might. And that was honestly why I was like, oh, do I even put that in my top three? But, like, with between Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and The Good Place, The Good Place, I haven't seen the ending yet because it hasn't come out, but Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I hadn't seen the, the most recent season. So I was like, well, which one of these do I love the most based on what I have slash what I've seen? And Mar- I like my Marvelous Mrs. Maisel probably a little bit more than The Good Place. So um, I love it because it's it's like, I don't know, I'm a sucker for female empowerment. And, wow, Andrew. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, 
But I'm a sucker for female empowerment, and uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel really, like, hits those buttons for me. Plus, you know, comedy. I like comedy. Um, my number two pick is going to be Key and Peele. Um, <laughs> Speaking of liking comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I love Key and Peele. Like, they're just hilarious. Um, Andrew was talking about, um, I think you should leave. And Key and Peele, I feel like, is... It's similar in that it's sketch comedy, but it's elevated to, I think, a much higher level than I think you should leave. Sorry, Andrew. Um. <laughs> look, okay, look. I'm not going to argue that. Keen Peel's a better sketch show. Like the Obama translator sketches? <laughs> Phenomenal. The so Obama good. translator one, the other one that's great is the Obama handshake. Um, it got turned into a meme a couple you years can, ago. I know that meme. <laughs> um, so I'm is not going to... Aaron? Yeah, so Keem uh, That's also the college, the college bowl, the college players' nicknames, where it's like, oh yeah, where <laughs> like, his, his name really is like TJ RJ LJ Jackson the <laughs> third. Yeah, um, they've also got. I mean, I really like the one where uh, there are two slaves being auctioned off, and so there's like three up on the block, and everybody keeps buying like whoever the third guy is, and not them. And they start off with, like, we don't want to be sold. Like, slavery is awful. And then they're just like, why isn't anybody buying us? Look at how strong I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the one thing they is... They have some dark humor in there. Well, there's... Yes, and it's obviously, <laughs> like... get out now, too. I'm like, yeah. oh, you're like, oh, oh. And they're... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and also, obviously, like, Keen Peel are African-American. And so there are a few sketches where it's like, oh, wow, I thought this is funny, but... Oh, boy. <laughs> like, I can't tell my parents about that one. Yeah. So, like... That, that's why I went with I think you should leave because it's safer for white people like that. Well, um, oh, gee. But Key yeah. and Peele is better. Yes. I won't argue with that. Um, and then my number one show, Breaking the Mold a little bit, is not a comedy. It's The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, that is a, that's a, a, a dark horse. It's, it's very dark horse. It's extremely yeah, dark, dark yes. Yeah. There's probably dark horses in it. Yeah, um, yeah it's very dark and... Um, it really appeals to my inner goth, so, yeah, I love it. <laughs> I just, that's it, I love it. I thought for two seconds about Riverdale as an honorable mention, and then I was like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to put that teen schlock on I mean, here. Oh, no. being entertaining, oh, my heavens, like, it's so entertaining. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah. Sabrina is the elevated version of... I think so. Yeah. It's but. all in the same universe, but I'm assuming yeah. I haven't watched Sabrina, but I'm hoping it's better yeah. in quality than uh, Riverdale. In, in Sabrina, they do refer to Riverdale a couple of times. Oh, funny! But I haven't ever I watched watch Riverdale. It. You sh- you should watch it. You it's- should watch Riverdale because it's. So- <laughs> I think Andrew would appreciate making fun of it. Probably. Um, yeah, Sabrina. I don't I- think I could. I don't think I could do it with Luke Perry being gone. Yeah. It breaks my heart. No. You can, you can make fun of the non-Luke Perry things. They actually did do a very good job with that mm-hmm. uh, tribute episode to him. But anyway. All right. Well, let's talk about movies. <laughs> All right. Here we go. All right. Honorable mentions. Um, I'm going to throw mine out there. I have The Shape of Water because I think it's a beautiful movie and I love it. Um, I have Get Out because it's a, like seriously one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. So there's that. Um, and Wonder Woman, because again, I am a sucker for female empowerment. Yay. <laughs> Which we will see in my, yeah, in your at least one of my top choices. Yeah, so yeah. Cool. Um, Andrew? My, my honorable mention is, uh, Logan. 
Um, I it was I was thinking about how that was probably going to be my only comic book movie that was going to be mentioned on this list. Um, that's not true. I have another one coming up, so I guess I'm a sucker. I don't know. <laughs> I enjoy them. Um, but Logan was so much... I don't know. It, it was based on Old Man Logan, the comic and all that kind of stuff, which I think I actually came on and talked <clears throat> on this podcast about before. I think I've talked about Old Man Logan before. But this took it to kind of a whole different level, and what really set it apart was how long Hugh Jackman's been playing that role. That's really kind of what set a lot of that apart, um, I think, for me. Um, one of my favorite things sur- surrounding Logan isn't actually from the movie. It's the How It Should Have Ended. Um, I highly recommend going on YouTube and watching that one because uh, in in it, um, they do a musical farewell as if it's Les Mis, where Hugh Jackman is singing it. <laughs> um, and it's, it's really very funny. Um, I'd recommend checking that out. Um, but yes, uh, I th- yeah, I thought Logan was, was amazing. How about you, Shannon? Uh, I wish I had thought about this a little bit more, because I'm sure there are a bunch that I'm going to regret not saying later. Um, ones that I have on here, Call Me By Your Name, La La Land, the non-Best Picture winner in <laughs> <laughs> um, Tree of Life, which I just saw another town. Uh, Terrence Malick movie the other night and Tree of Life is not for everyone because it's got like a 30 minute section in there that's just evolution and like dinosaurs and has nothing to do with the rest of the story Uh, it has Um, Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain in it right but like it is beautiful and what a like a visceral experience (laughs) it's amazing Um, Parasite from this year um, Mm. my favorite from this year um yeah, that are little women. It's close still. Um, Arrival, I think probably the best space movie I've seen. Um, Boyhood, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Um, there are probably so many I'm forgetting. Um, but then the last one I'll just mention quickly. About Time is my favorite movie ever, <laughs> and it was made in 2011, but I did not include it on this list because I felt like I needed to put things that it's a very small movie, and I feel like everyone who has seen it just thinks so, so highly of it. Everybody I know who has seen it is their favorite favorite movie. movie. Um, So I almost, I was like, maybe I should put it on, but I really wanted to highlight some things that I think were more important as far as like the history of cinema <laughs> uh, not that i think my list is that important or anything and, and you um, knew that i would put it on mine so yeah like... but just know about time and don't believe in a richard curtis that i think you're great <laughs> 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 uh, awesome. anyway yep all right andrew all right top three movies top three so as alluded to earlier this is the spacey pick that doesn't make me feel great um but it's baby driver um, ah! I like it. I like it in spite. Well, I actually kind of like Kevin Spacey in it, even though he's a horrible person. But, um, uh, but I, I had so much fun in the theater when I saw it. I just like, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I we were, I was watching it for. It was one of the first movies that we reviewed on Pop Pop Culture, I believe, um, and so I went to it. And I just enjoyed, like, every second of it. <laughs> I had so much fun. Um, it's an Edgar Wright film. Um, and I didn't realize he was such a gearhead. Um, but he 
loves cars, apparently. Um, but just what one of the things that I love most about Edgar Wright films, and I almost I considered putting Scott Pilgrim as an honorable mention here because of the same reason is the way he uses music to enhance all of his films. Um, the music in Baby Driver is just it's incredible. So. Um, and yeah, just from top to bottom, I had a blast. Shannon, I believe <laughs> this is the one you tried to watch. Yeah. Had to turn off. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I was hoping I had hit the beginning so I could get the bell bottoms. Yes. Bell bottoms part, but, and I hadn't, but yeah, the second Kevin Spacey was on the screen, I was like, mm. I just, I hate that too, because it's a very good movie. Yeah. I haven't revisited it since though, so I'll, I'll try it again, but I, there are a bunch of spacey things, older movies that I haven't seen that I want to go back and see, but I feel like anything with him in it now is going to just give me the heebie-jeebies. Yeah. And so, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah he's not... There are people that do that for me, too, and so, yeah, it's very unfortunate. But, like, Jamie Foxx in that movie is incredible. John Hamm, I thought, was amazing um, in that movie, which... I really like John Hamm, but like I've never thought he was that great of an actor. Like, shame on you. I know, yeah. I know. Well, no, I'm like he's very handsome and he's and he's also funny and stuff. But that, but like when he's when he's on Thirty Rock, and he's in that he's that doctor who's really bad at stuff, but everybody treats him differently because he's so attractive. <laughs> I kind of thought that's just how John Hamm existed in real life. But then he on Baby Driver, I was like, okay, he actually is very talented. So like. I didn't mention my how I'm disgruntled over Amy Poehler not getting an Emmy, but John Hamm was the other one, and he and Amy Poehler would do a party every year for when they lost because it was always the two of them getting nominated, and they would always lose. He'd always lose to Brian Cranston, right? Probably. Probably. Him and Mad Men, though. Like, John Hamm's one of the greatest actors of this decade I, for that role. But anyway. Um, anyway, I, lo- yeah, I, loved, I loved him in Baby Driver. <laughs> Ansel Elgort's really good. Um, Lily James is really good, too, in, in that one. Um, so, yeah, I, I just... I, I don't remember having that much fun in a movie um, uh, this decade, except for maybe the one I'm going to talk about in a second. Um... The next film I have is Blade Runner twenty forty nine. This wasn't the one you had so much fun with. <laughs> I well, I did, I did enjoy it, but I enjoyed it visually unbelievable. Like it is gorgeous, kind of how Courtney was saying, Shape of Water is a beautiful movie. This one is incredible. I almost Courtney hasn't seen Blade Runner twenty forty nine, yeah. and I almost don't want to show it to her on our TV. <laughs> like I, I need to find true. a bigger screen to watch it on. Um, Ryan Gosling's performance is really good for <laughs> what he's, I don't want to spoil anything, but for what he's playing, like, he's incredible, I thought. Um, and it's also, I felt like it was the, it was the perfect way to make a sequel to a 30-year-old movie. Like, it just got the universe exactly right and understood understood what the original was trying to say and didn't retcon or destroy what it was trying to say but added to it perfectly and the the music was amazing i just it was my favorite film from 2017 in a year filled with incredible films it was my favorite so 
Um, Can I tack on to this? Too? Yeah. That movie is also is directed by Denis Villeneuve, mm-hmm. and I mentioned in my honorable mentions that one, but Arrival, and I should have put Sicario in there as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, just like every movie this decade he's directed, was, yeah, was uh, great. brilliant. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Good job. Um, <laughs> and so then my number one film, I know I just mentioned Blade Runner 2049 and stuff, uh, is the Avengers from 2012, <laughs> um, and the reason I say that um, is I enjoy I really I've really enjoyed movies like my whole life. Um, bef- uh, when I was a teenager, I worked at Hollywood Video. I went and saw movies a lot and enjoyed it. And um, films have always been a big part of my childhood. But Avengers kind of lit a love for. I know Martin Scorsese is going to yell at me because it's not true cinema, but it really kind of it kind of. <laughs> I was like, oh man, movies can be like this fun and this good, and it really kind of kicked off my love of movies and cinema as an adult. That kind of led to me doing stuff like this, where I could talk on a podcast about movies without just being like, oh, it was cool, and that guy punched that one guy. Like, I know that's what The Avengers is, but it just kind of, <laughs> like, I remember going to see it and just being like, this was awesome, and just kind of reintroducing to me, like, how fun movies could be, um, and so then, yeah, since then it's kind of put me on a path of actually wanting to go and see movies, so I mean, like, oh, I guess I'll just rent that one, like, trying to take time out of my day to go see a movie in the theater. Well, and we should also mention, like, we take movie universes for granted now, but it was, we have movie universes because of Avengers, like, single-handedly because of Avengers. Like, obviously, there were other Marvel movies before that, but it wasn't until Avengers came out and people saw the final product of doing a movie universe and, like, what that could mean. Also, it made, like, a bajillion dollars. And how much money it could make. <laughs> but, like, what it could mean for, like, a, a cinema-going audience and how it could revitalize, like, people going to the theater and all that sort of thing. And well, yeah. And so now, like movie universes, everybody's trying to do it. And, and it yeah. and it showed that it showed that audiences could go with because I think there's a lot of like underestimating the audience. It's like, well, if we, it, I don't think we can trust the audience that they will know who this blonde guy is from a previous movie. Mm-hmm. And it's like, my parents didn't like my dad didn't go see Thor before he saw Avengers, and he still liked Avengers. He was like, I didn't know who that blonde guy was, but it was still really cool. <laughs> um, so like. <laughs> So, like, it showed people that, it showed movie makers that audiences will be like, oh, yeah, I'm, like, I'm done with this. I can, and so we can get more cohesive stuff, stuff that's kind of, yeah, the universe, essentially. Did you see that Martin Scorsese's daughter wrapped all the Christmas gifts? In in Marvel Marvel wrapping? Yes, I did. (laughs) That was... That was the highlight of my Christmas break. That was great. Yeah, I did see that. I thought that was amazing. Um, I'm glad you got a Disney pick on there because I was looking over my whole thing and I didn't put Disney on here at all. And not, I don't know that any of them in terms of quality were necessarily what I would consider the best. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, um, like, there's no denying that Disney kind of ruled this decade, or at least the latter half of it, as they started buying up everything. (laughs) So, anyway. Yep. Great. Cool. Shannon, yeah, it's your turn. Um, (laughs) something else. 
just mention things I've already talked about. I'm very transparent with what I love, apparently, and <laughs> just talk about it to no end. Um, my number three is Lady Bird. Um, I I think it's a beautiful film. It means a lot to me as a young woman. And, um, you know, it's just kind of semi-autobiographical about Greta Gerwig's experience growing up in Sacramento and kind of the relationship between her and her mother and wanting to break away from the life that like, she's experienced thus far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this movie is important, too, for two reasons. That One, it... Well, this wasn't one of A24's first films, but I think A24, um, which started in 2012, has just been a huge part of this decade for independent film. And so, um, yeah, they've produced a lot of really gorgeous films, this being one of them. And then two, I mean, this is the debut from Greta Gerwig, who now, having seen Little Women, I'm like, yeah, she's going to be one of the greatest directors of all time. (laughs) And so it's really exciting to have this one and these two films this decade. Mm -hmm. Someone on Twitter, um, while, during break, when I was looking at it, um, someone had mentioned Greta Gerwig was the lead in a spinoff that was planned for How I Met Your Mother, oh. and which they filmed a pilot for, and it never took off. And I just think, in another universe somewhere, Greta Gerwig is, like, leading this network sitcom <laughs> <laughs> instead of making two of the best movies in this decade. And so, anyway, and, I mean, having seen Mar- Marriage Story 2, her partner is Noah Baumbach, and I think his films, too, have... Like, his work has really changed under her influence as well, and probably her, him on hers. So, I just, yeah, she's wonderful, and really looking forward to see what she does next in the upcoming decade. Mm-hmm. Um, my number two is Mad Max Fury Road, um, which, because I love a romantic comedy, this might seem like a little out of left field. <laughs> um, but um, I don't even know really how to describe this film but um it's like the best post-apocalyptic film i've ever seen um i think that um george miller just with the visuals within it it's just such a really beautiful film um the colors even though they're in this kind of desert wasteland the how just the costuming of it all how cool all of their different um like vehicles look as they're chasing after furiosa who has taken all of these women um who are kind of see i can't describe the movie with um yes but furiosa is escaping with all of these women to keep them from the like horrible leader of this desert wasteland and it's crazy because i mean mamax fury road is another great example of how to make a sequel for something and like really keep to the spirit of what the original was and really build on it and make it even better and match it to its time um I think that this was a great... I read it in more of a feminist way. Like, these women, you know, should be in charge of their bodies and what they have some free will <laughs> in this land. Mm-hmm. And Furiosa... Mad Max ends up being almost a secondary character to Furiosa, who's just so badass in this. And so, um, I don't know. It's one of you haven't seen it in the theater. I don't know... Like, that experience was really meant to be on the big screen where you're completely enveloped with all the sounds and the color. Um, there's also a black and white version, too. And um, anyway, it's just 
I think on every level, production-wise, it's amazing, and it won a bunch of Oscars for all of the technical feats within it. Um, so that's my number two. <laughs> Just go watch it instead of that's hearing my it. terrible I, explanation of it. I will say that is quite the number two. Like I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. So yeah, and I I'll say I haven't seen the the previous films in that series. I've only mm. seen Fury Road, and so I think it really stands on its own as. Um, yeah, just, I don't know. I love an action film that says something. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and so I think it works both on the blockbuster level where it's exciting, um, but it looks great, and it also like has a message. So it's really awesome. Um, and then my number one uh, is The Social Network, and for me it was no contest. <laughs> um, I, I think this movie's brilliant from the moment I saw it, and... It's one of those kind of same deal as Mad Max for me, where I just think production-wise, every single piece of it is just at the top of its game. The soundtrack, so this is the first time that um, it's Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, um, their first soundtrack, and it was just so original. Um, and even how they use like Hall of Mountain King, and it, it was just very exciting. And um, so that's great. The acting is amazing. Um, Jesse Eisenberg being, I don't, the protagonist, but also a complete a-hole through the film. Um, this is kind of the emergence of Andrew Garfield and Army Hammer, who both have excellent roles in this, too. Mm-hmm. Um, the direction from David Fincher, I just, so of course The Social Network is about how Facebook was created and Mark Zuckerberg being sued by everyone because he kind of stole the idea for Facebook and then cheated his friends out of um, getting... His friend Eduardo kind of gets um, jilted when he has other ideas for how the company should go. But I... It's just something that shouldn't be exciting. It's a bunch of guys <laughs> on computers, like, starting a website. It shouldn't be exciting. And Especially, yet, like, they just want to compare how hot their classmates are yes. and stuff like that. <laughs> and yet it's so exciting and interesting. And um, so I'm. it's just gripping from beginning to end for me. Um, yeah, did I leave anything out? Um, I think kind of what Andrew is saying with the Avengers... Um, I've always been interested in the Oscars, and I've liked film, um, but I think this is the first movie, because I didn't watch rated R films before this time period. (laughs) This is in 2010, and so I think I hadn't seen a lot of the really big films that most people see, and they're like, oh, I love cinema. (laughs) Um, And so I think this is one of the first films I saw where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is what you can really do with this medium. And then I went back and watched a bunch of other older, really brilliant things <laughs> because of this. And so... Um, yeah, Social, Social Network's PG-13, though, right? It's not R. It is. Yeah. But, yeah. So I was, was, was going to make sure, because Baby Driver is R, and that was one of the first ones that I, like... Oh, yeah. Because, like, I, I didn't used to, but I do now. Baby Driver was, like, the first one that I, like, bought a ticket to. Yeah. And, like, was, like, can I go... I mean, I, obviously, I'm, like, I like 30 or something. When, yeah. But, like... <laughs> it was one of those ones that was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see this movie. Like, I mean, I would say like a year or so after this, I was like, now I will watch regular <laughs> movies. Because everything, and this is a rare exception, but I think like a lot of the films I feel really passionately about have more adult themes and are therefore rated R. But yeah. um, 
anyway, it's just, it's so good and so rewatchable. I think that matters a lot to me too. All three of these films are ones that I can put on and um, rewatch and still enjoy. So, oh. yep. Cool. Similar story with me. Like, these are three movies that I definitely, like, want to keep going back to every time I have the opportunity to watch a movie. Um, so, my number three is going to be Midnight in Paris. Um, I really like this movie because it hits a lot of my buttons. Um, set in Paris, and I'm a major, like, Francophile, so, yep, love that. Um, and it just, it's, uh, Owen Wilson is an author, so... As a writer, I appreciate that as well. Um, and he goes back in time every night um, to the 20s, and he's able to meet all of these, like, American expats, like uh, uh, Hemingway. Hemingway and the Fitzgeralds and, um, gosh dang it, what is her name? Uh, the one who edits his book. Why am I blanking on this? Kathy Bates. Are you talking about Zelda? No. No, no, no. no. It's, um... Oh, gosh dang it. <laughs> oh, it's... Does Look it up. You have, okay. you have a you have a you have, have a device a in your device hand right that gives you access to all the information in the world. You're like, <laughs> I gotta admit, I saw this one once and never revisited it. Really? So it's not when I I know people are always surprised when I'm like kind of meh about yeah. <laughs> so I should revisit it. Yeah, I really I really like it. Um, it is a little bit on the problematic side because it's directed That's by Woody Allen. Allen, but uh, I don't know. Um, okay, let me see here. Where I remember when my sister first saw it. She's like, she never Gertrude seen Stein. Gertrude Stein. Oh yes, oh. sorry. Yeah, she I had known that. I know. My sister had never watched a Woody Allen that. movie before, so she was very confused as to why there were so many scenes of people shouting at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, they're just always yelling at each other. I'm like, yeah, it's a Woody yeah, Allen it's film. Woody Come Allen on. Movie. <laughs> um, but as far as Woody Allen goes, I feel like this movie is a little bit more, like less fast talking and like. It's less fast-moving and, like, talky and um, even less comedic, I would say. It's not really a it's not. It's not a comedy, really. Um, yeah, so I, I really like that one. Um, I also am going to talk about About Time. So these other two, I, I'm not going to try to make one a number one, number two. But, um, Coward. Can I, can I say, yeah. between, now that you're mentioning About Time and Midnight in Paris, though, mm-hmm. like, both of those movies are kind of about appreciating what you have right now. Yeah. Because yes. that's what I did like about Midnight in Paris, is it's, we never think we're in the golden age when right. we're in it. We always think that what came before is better. Yes. And so. Yeah, which is a major But About theme. Time kind of has that same theme. Yeah. That's interesting. Totally. I feel, uh, feel yeah. really sentimental there yeah (laughs) those are both cute yeah i love about time it's um so for those of you who don't know that much about it about time donald gleason is um in his family the men in his family have this ability to travel back in their own personal timelines so they can't like go back in time and kill hitler or anything um but they can go back in their own personal timelines and like yeah um so uh, Bill Nye is his dad and who teaches him about this and what I love about him is he um, he goes back in time so that he has more time to read books which I think is lovely <laughs> um, and uh, the other the other wrinkle is that like if you, if one of them goes back in time before like a big life event like the birth of a child it changes like the child so Donald Gleason goes back in time at one point to try to save his sister from like this really like, this lifestyle of 
self, like the self-destructive lifestyle that she has like been choosing for herself for several years. So he goes back in time to what he thinks is the root of that problem, and it does help his sister. But then he goes back home, and his daughter is now a boy, and he's freaked out. And it turns out he can't go back past that point and change anything before his daughter was born, or else his daughter won't be born. Um, so at the end, Bill Nye, he has passed away. And um, so he's been going back in time and trying to spend time with his dad. But his wife is pregnant, and like the, their baby is going to come in. Courtney, you're spoiling I'm sorry. Yes. How dare you? How dare you? I'm sorry. This is this is my problem. Like I try to communicate how good something is, and I end up just spoiling it. You can continue. I don't mean to cut you off. Anyway, how dare you? It's really great, and it it's all about like appreciating what is going on right now, and like. By the end of the movie, he doesn't go back in time at all anymore. He just, like, lives his life in such a way that he doesn't need to go back and, like, fix mistakes, per se. Or, like, he, he learns to appreciate the here and the now um, instead of having to go back in time every day and, like, relive things to appreciate it. So, yeah. I'll say, too, I mean, <laughs> what the ending I'm is. so sorry. No, what... What's brilliant about it, though, is that when I explain this movie to people, I usually say, well, he's decided to use this time travel ability to find love. Mm-hmm. And so they, it could easily be that the whole movie is just about that. Yeah, which but I that's kind of, it, to be honestly. But right. it's only the first but act. But it's kind of the halfway point, and then it switches into, like, this beautiful relationship with his father. I know. <laughs> and, uh, it's so lovely. It's, it's, it's just so movie. great. I love I love all of the relationships mm-hmm. in that movie. I yeah. love his relationship with his sister and his mm-hmm. wife and his mother and his father. And, and one of oh. my favorite songs ever, Ben Folds the Luckiest, oh, is yeah. like the theme throughout the movie. The instrumental is yeah. like kind of used throughout. Oh, so great. <laughs> just so great. And then oh. my number one movie um, is On the Basis of Sex, which came out last year. It is the, um, it's about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, um, and the whole, her whole campaign to have women be recognized as equal citizens under the law. Not just have voting rights, but, like, have all the same rights as men. Um, I, we, Shannon and I actually saw this together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I was just, like, blown away because I felt like I'm a feminist and I know a lot about feminism. But there were all these little things that I was like, I had no idea that, in the 60s, women weren't allowed to open bank accounts or credit cards without, like, a husband's signature. Like, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. All these little things. And um, and it was all about how, like, like, law and, like, basically how society progresses and the law needs to change to keep up with that. Um, I related really hardcore to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, at least the portrayal of her in this movie, um... Her husband um, reminds me a lot of Andrew, at least, again, as portrayed in the movie. Um, so yeah, She's I, saying you look like Army Hammer. I know. <laughs> and I do. Yes. For those of you who have never met me, I absolutely do. You, yeah. Yeah. That's the most wonderful compliment. I'm, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, I uh, On the Basis of Sex, I think, is an important movie. And it was personally meaningful for me. It, yeah, I very much related to it. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Ooh. Yay. That's the decade, That's everybody. Well done. That's the best of period. That is that is definitive. <laughs> Everyone else is wrong. We are the right ones. <laughs> yep. 
That's true. There are so many takes on this. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I think that this is going to be our last episode for a little while. We're going to go on a bit of a hiatus. Um, so we wanted to wish everybody a happy new year, um, happy new decade. And Ooh. yeah, I think that's going to be it for this episode. Um, so as always, follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at PC Footnotes. Uh, check us out on anchor.fm to find all of our episodes or on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, and that's what we're going to do this time. Bye, guys. Bye.